0: Welcome to I Am The Night, the weekly podcast where we sit down, dissect and examine episodes of the legendary Batman the Animated Series. This week is episode 22, Joker's Favour, which is special not just because of the Joker but because it is the first ever appearance of his dear partner in crime, Harley Quinn. With me as always is Adam. Greetings. What did you make of this lovely story?
1: Oh, so it's always a pleasure to be back. It's a real insight to see that honestly, like I like to quote that one line from a old sci-fi science fiction film, that big things have small beginnings. We've seen how far the character of Harley Quinn sort of progressed and evolved in <laughs> Absolutely. culture. But to see her come from something relatively smaller, just like She's almost a bit part, but still a very important bit part that helps move things along, along with us the Joker. We've seen her become the star of her own anime TV series, more plural, her own movies. She's become quite an important character in the wider comics canon. So I think this is where she started as an almost bit part. It's a very nice thing to see that anything can happen to these characters.
0: It's funny looking back as well, because we see... And this isn't actually confirmed, but I'm sure that the cute blonde with the glasses walking around the GCPD at the beginning of the episode is her, but it's never confirmed. And then we see her without the glasses, in the cop's uniform, and of course in the full Harley Quinn gear, which I didn't realise we saw so many aspects of her, and she's almost completely fully formed From the get-go, even though she's not the main player, she's, like you say, she's more of a supporting role, but that's Harley.
1: I think that was just Paul Dineen trusting in the character he had sort of come up with. There was, like, a nice little niche, sort of, almost, for her, just to be able to be, like, this same sort of chaotic energy that we'd expect from the Joker, but something much more subdued so that she could go and do some heavy lifting which was sort of what she was at the beginning and fit perfectly. Yeah.
0: Heavy lifting including <coughs> a very big cake which she couldn't hold and open the doors because it's so big.
1: That's why we had to get the, uh, the real driving force of the episode sort of in and involved and sort of shows the thought processes of the Joker because we can see him as this chaotic force, but we also see him as methodical and dangerous, which is honestly like as nice as it was to see Harley Quinn just sort of made real in this episode. I don't think she was the focus here. I think that's going to come later.
0: I honestly believe that she took both her creators and the viewing audience by surprise, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's down to Arlene Sorkin. And her charm, the way she created this character and made her clearly villainous but adorable, and that's something that stuck with the character from this early appearance. But you're quite right. The focus this episode is Mark Hamill's Joker, and again, he is funny and scary, and of course, Ed Begley Jr. is back second week in a row. As Chuck, Chaz, Charlie um, Collins, the uh, poor person who owes the Joker a favour, hence Joker's favour.
1: We can all relate to the way that this episode starts with him just being cut off oh. on the motorway by multiple different cars, and he wants to try and like show that he's not completely down in his luck until he cuts off the Joker, and just this wonderful moment of almost slapstick comedy where the music sort Brilliant. of. Changes from like his sort of like whistly sort of tone to something a bit more insidious to back to the whistly tones to back to him. It's just a this little one-upmanship chase there on the on the freeway. We can really relate to this character, which is why we get so scared for him. But then once he has his conversation with the Joker, and we see the screen say two years later, I have to laugh a little bit because that's how long it took for the Joker to cash in on his favour. It's so easy to see the Joker as this like chaotic force it's surprising, but it still makes a lot of sense that that even with this two-year time gap, the Joker kept his eyes on this guy and kept tabs. There's also realism from this poor Mr. Collins that he would want to try and change his name and get out of Gotham just to avoid owing the Joker or anything. The... It just shows the power that this villain has had over the whole city, that like we can see this whole series about us learning who these villains, that we readers would know about, but they're still new. The Joker has this great prestige that everyone knows and fears. It's
0: brilliant, because you say, yes, the Joker is a force of chaos, a force of nature, but from day one, from his very first appearance in Batman number 1 in 1940, he was also a planner, and a schema and his plans are so meticulously well thought out and put together that yes he comes across this nobody in a car makes his life a living nightmare while he's trying to escape him on the highway and then waits two years to to get him and to call back on the favor that he's owed but it's stunning that you can see, obviously, the character didn't forget that. He changed his name. He moved away. He must have told his wife the truth or told even the police the truth. And he, he didn't get away. He didn't, cause the Joker made, and this is truly terrifying when you think about it, the Joker made Charlie Collins his hobby. Think about that.
1: Just to be that watched that closely by a figure you really don't expect to have that kind of attention span. Like we viewers now are so you to Heath Ledger's, one of Heath Ledger's many monologues of I'm a dog chasing cars, I wouldn't do one if I caught it. We expect the Joker to be like this chaotic force, but to see him look that closely at one man who does seem fairly ordinary just to see the extent of how well he's changed his name, how far he's moved, Yeah, but also shows the Joker's sort of ability to be able to look past all of the things of witness protection and trying to stay off the grid, but that stuff doesn't really mean anything to him, probably because the Joker's probably done something similar, but it's worked because no one knows who he truly is. We see the Clown Prince, not the Agent of Chaos.
0: Absolutely, the other aspect of the Joker's character. But do you not think as well, I mean, this episode's a prime example, that Joker maybe uses that clownish exterior, that buffoonery, the comedy, to hide the fact that he actually is a genius, that he actually is a master manipulator, a master puppet master, a a puller of strings and someone who's got his beady eyes on everything, everyone and everything and the bit at the beginning where he's following Charlie in the car and even though he runs lights takes um, exits blasts through fences Joker still catches up with him that again shows that Joker knows Gotham as well as Batman does
1: which is such an important thing to know Absolutely. why they're so well odds with each other because they know how best to navigate their city that they're trying to endanger or protect it's really interesting to see this side of this character, this mm. villain that we all think we know so well.
0: I don't think anyone yeah. can know him. That's the point. And that's the beautiful part of the whole character.
1: We shouldn't know that much about it. Yeah. Um, history should be multiple choice.
0: Oh, yes. He said it himself. I well. The other thing I've got to mention is, correct me if I'm wrong, Could Charlie Collins' use of that museum piece, swinging it through the window for Alfred and Bruce to see in the car... I think so. Is that the first hint of the bat
1: symbol we've had so far in this series? I think so, because we've not seen that. No. That's all 20 plus episodes in.
0: We haven't, have we? I'm not just imagining it. Because I know we see it later on, but we haven't seen it yet, have we?
1: Correct us if we're wrong listeners, but we haven't. We really
0: so could the Bat-Signal have been an invention of Charlie Collins?
1: Mr. Ordinary has done something very important for Batman, if he has.
0: <laughs> well, it's clear that, as we've mentioned from day one, his relationship with Gordon is paramount. It's set in stone because this, this episode revolves around Gordon being honoured as a policeman. And the first time we see Batman in the episode, it's Jim saying, well, actually, if anyone should be honoured, it's you. That, to me, was really, really cool.
1: It's because um, for the two years later, little time jump in this episode to have worked, that means that... In Something's as well, happened. Not, no, no, not necessarily. It means that in, as far as we've been watching, Batman has been operating for at least two years. Yeah. And Gordon was probably commissioner almost all of the time that Batman's been around. Because he got made commissioner just at the end of the year one sort of story. Yes. Um, so Batman's been a force for long, a very long time and Gordon's been the commanding... Good four or five years now then. Something like that. And Gordon's been the commanding police force for that entire time. So they've had parallel careers, but Batman's been the force that's actually pulled in all of the, all of the criminals in the collars so that Goth, uh, Gordon can legitimately sort of convict them. So his placement of saying that Batman should be on is kind of justified because Batman's been the one who's been doing the heavy lifting, Mm -hmm. but Batman not doing it for any praise or recognition just very lightly says, I'm the night shift.
0: I love that line and the way it's delivered because that's literally, he's not the hero that wants the credit, wants the adulation, wants the medals or rewards. He's literally just there to serve the common good and be the, the voice of justice in Gotham City. I'm just the night shift. Awesome. I love that line so much. And it's funny because Bruce Wayne could not get away from that gala fast enough. But we'd never find out where he's going. And just the hint of that bat in the window thinking he might be needed. And I think more than anything else, because it's Jim who's in there brings him straight back and that if that's not a, a real look into the character's mind I don't know what is
1: it shows that he does need that other half of the law and order sort of yes. perspective he needs because if he doesn't if the, if it were any other commanding force in the police force they would see him as an untrustworthy vigilante and see that all these people have been like that have been left at the but first of the police station with a little bat symbol just sort of stapled to their clothes. They would see that these people are victims of B&E, let them go, Mm -hmm. and the vigilante would be at large. It takes someone who's willing to sort of, like, look past it and accept that there is some good to what is being being done here. Batman doesn't need that. Batman doesn't need that, just to sort of legitimise his actions. Yeah.
0: Because he... Though he views himself probably as an outsider, like you quite rightly say, he does the heavy lifting, but it's Jim, the GCPD, and Gotham's system of justice that puts these characters behind bars. And I think that's vitally important to know.
1: It just takes a more stern force that isn't wrapped up by process or rules or law or jurisdiction to get... The bad guys where they need to be,
0: absolutely. And it's a great little character moment. I mean, of which this episode is is replete. I mean, we have to talk about Harvey. I won't stop eating bullock. Yeah, brilliant.
1: I mean, I mean it's a it's a formal party. It's Bambi like an open buffet. It's great. So he fills himself right up, and when it gets to him being a little bit gross and a little bit sleazy when uh, Harley Quinn comes in and the police get up, oh, fantastic. she whacks him in the shin and Renee loves it. Yeah. Renee just like, it's grinning in the corner like a, like a little idiot.
0: What's brilliant is Renee's in this episode, and she's clearly giving Harvey daggers every time she sees him. She's laughing at her butt off when Harley whacks him in the shin with a with, with baton, but... Have you noticed that Renee doesn't say a word, but she is so oh, Renee.
1: There's a real presence there yeah. it's just like, show some good character acting in the way. Yeah, in the animation. If you can do that.
0: That's another thing that we keep mentioning that, that blows me in this episode, because honestly, she didn't even have to be in it. But the fact that she's there, she's a presence, she's a character, and she's just some drawings, <laughs> is magic to me.
1: It's just the strength of the ensemble cast they've been able to put together and it's a good reminder to show that she's there and she's important but it's also good to show that they've created these characters and they know them so well that they can put those little extra bits in and still keep them relevant and keep them true to what they've created
0: well let me blow your mind then so we've seen that with Renee this week right
1: yeah
0: Joker's two henchmen also do not say a word in the entire episode, but they are a presence, and they're there, and they're scary. Yes. So we have to credit Boyd Kirkland's direction, yes. we have to credit Paul Dini's writing, and we have to credit the geniuses who animate this programme.
1: The quality of the character design, just to show those two, like, thugs of guys, like, so angular, stocky dudes who you really don't want to mess with, but we also... See them, like, driving past uh, yes. Charles Bonds house. That's how we know that they're intimidating not to be messed with. But we also see them being forced to clap along while they're sitting in the back of Joker's little warehouse reading Tiny Toons. And
0: you can see the fear on their faces when they realise, damn, we should be clapping.
1: But why are so many people just chilling out reading Tiny Toons? It's great.
0: Because it's the other show made by Paul Dini in Warner Brothers Animation at the time. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's um, the best piece of product placement in history
1: then again I can also sort of respect that because if Paul Dini was able to write both of those pro- releases mm-hmm. it is well it's good then because it also shows that he uh, created Harley Quinn wrote the plot for the first Arcan Batman Arthur Island game but also wrote the episode with Batmite for Batman the Brave and the Bold yes he <laughs> did Gets you
0: and man can do both, and um, I don't know if you know this that he's become a very prolific comic book writer since. And he actually adapted Harley's origin and introducer to comic book lore and canon as yeah, well. In
1: Mad
0: Lover, no, before that, in um, her first appearance of comic book canon is actually part of No Man's Land. Oh,
1: wow, okay,
0: Batman, um, the Joker Harley Quinn or Batman Harley Quinn. Oh. I really should have looked that up before recording, but yes, she actually appeared first of all in um, right in the middle of the No Man's Land arc, and it was a lovely thing to see.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, from the characters who don't say a word, we have to again go back to Arlene Sorkin, mm-hmm. who, funnily enough, we recently saw in live action as uh, the gangster's moll in Sylvester Stallone's hilarious movie Oscar. And she could almost be Harley in that, couldn't she?
1: Honestly, one of my favourite just Sylvester Stallone movies as it is. It's a, it's a lark and a fast comedy set in the thirties, but we see this one again bit pop, but it has such a presence on the screen yeah. of just uh, one of these like pretty young ladies, just sort of fawning over one of the other gangsters, just like making sure he looks real nice. And it's the same Harley Quinn voice, and yeah. the same sort of like pearly, chalky white sort of makeup. There's something really iconic about that sort of look around bad bad guys and gangsters and stuff, which is sort of another thing, I think, led to the design around her. Yeah. And it just works very well, which is why I think she's stood the test of time moving between other pieces of media.
0: I actually can't wait to see her next appearance and see how much more they bring out of the character. But honestly, she is vintage harley from her first appearance and that does surprise me because I didn't think she'd be that well formed I thought she'd just be the character on the side in the costume I forgot about the other appearances with her out of the suit without the makeup with her blonde hair out and literally showing her face and helping out the Joker it's mad love
1: but it's also just a testament to the fact that there are no minor characters in yeah, the show. If absolutely. they want to develop someone, they develop them properly. Like we had the same sort of mind blowedness when we saw that one episode with the police inquest when we got yeah. the first real development of yes. Montoya. POV. It was very nice to sort of show that if there's an emphasis on a character for any reason, even if it's just an ordinary man we won't see again. Like in former Charlie Falls, we get...
0: People in corridors, people in lifts. We get real measured people. Yeah. We get characters. Yeah, absolute characters, definitely. So, we have to ask the question, as we always do. Main takeaways, things that stood out for you, either pluses or minuses from Joker's favour?
1: I think we get... Real nice character cross-sections of someone we really wouldn't expect. We get the curiosity we would hope for just to try and develop someone else new that we've seen, and we get characteristically little Batman, but that just shows the quality of the characters they've all sort of put together uh, across this whole series, and just like higher stakes TV you wouldn't expect for this media, but something we're really, really treated by. I I loved this episode a lot
0: i really enjoyed it it went by fast um it's still the standard twenty twenty two minutes but this one felt a lot more fluid it didn't have the bits where it slowed down or something seemed to be happening at every minute and again i, I want to say that what stood out for me again was the sequence at the very beginning on the freeway with all the traffic it felt just like the classic Max Fleischer Superman cartoons of the 40s. (laughs) And, again, it's that timeless part of the show that we keep talking about that we love so much. I thought that was great.
1: The vehicles. We get the 30s vehicles in that twisting, sort of impractical freeway. And we get your classic sort of slapstick 30s bombs in the form of, like, Sixty dynamite with the Joker's face on it. But... The high tech cranes there in the museum, the style of dress, it's very timeless, which is what's added to its lack of ageing and lack of being dated. It's still super relevant, a great portrayal of all these characters, and something that has drawn viewers back and new viewers in. Absolutely.
0: And the other thing I have to mention, which must have really grated on Joker is the fact that Charlie's little prank at the end with the fake dynamite made Batman, Batman laugh. laugh. That was, to me, what a moment. Fantastic. Really clever.
1: I feel like Batman had to have known that that bomb was fake. Oh, yeah. From just seeing it from a distance. Because if it was real, he'd have intervened. Yeah. Straight out. The There must have been some sort of satisfaction for him just to see the Joker sweat. We see the Joker sweat. Yeah. We see him freak out never do we see that Joker vulnerable?
0: It's a rare thing. It has happened once or twice in the comics as well. When he believes that his own life is in danger, but that's the only time. When it comes to anyone else's life, he honestly, and we know this, doesn't give a monkey's. It's all about Joker.
1: Which is still a surprising thing for me, because I also remember... Just moments of both Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson just waiting for Batman to just sort of come at him. Yeah. So seeing the Joker recognizing that he's vulnerable is a new thing for me. It's honestly quite nice because the fight or flight response makes people more dangerous. Yes, and I don't want to think of anything that could make the Joker more dangerous. Yeah.
0: The thing is with the Joker, and I'm really glad you brought that up, is that yes, he does taunt and tease Batman. We see it in. Batman 89 with the infamous massive gun scene with a Batwing coming down and firing bullets and rockets and everyone of them missing him. But he's taunting him. He wants him. Then again, with the Batpod, the motorbike in, in Dark Knight. But the reason that this is my, this is my own personal headcanon is because he knows Batman won't part one, but part two, he's kind of secretly hoping Batman does. Because if Batman does, proves him right. it proves him right, and he wins. He might lose his life. He might die, but he will win. And that I think—that I think—is the only way Joker wants to win. Not with Batman locking him up or whatever else. I mean, you've recently read *Dark Knight Returns*, um, and the fact that Batman's ultimate sanction was paralyzing the Joker, but Joker's force of will makes him twist his own neck the rest of the way so that he dies. And that's the catalyst that gets the whole police force after Batman because they think he actually did it. They actually think he killed Joker. So I actually do believe that yes, he wants Batman to do it, but deep down he knows you complete me. You're the one who makes this fun. You know, you're my, you're my reason for living.
1: I love you. You, I want to destroy you.
0: Yeah. And, uh, the fact that again, in dark Knight returns, um, He's catatonic for the whole 10 years. Batman's out of the public eye, and as soon as Batman no, returns, turns, so is he. he wakes up Batman. and his first words no, goes. no, no, no. His first words are darling, and that to me says it all.
1: It really, really does, and um, just shows how layered the unanswerable Joker has to be.
0: We'll never know, we will just never know. It's all conjecture, congenit- it's all our own headcanon,
1: and the Joker has to stay that way.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, the more origins and names they give him be it Jack Napier, be it uh, Jerome Valesca, be it Arthur Fleck it just, to me, people are up in arms about stuff like that, but to me, it just adds to the Michaels because you just don't know the truth. So, uh, another cracking piece of TV. Um, loved it, loved it, loved it. And We have to say thanks again to everyone who comments and uh, lets us know what they think of the show. Please keep doing so. Please rate us, review us. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And, um, guys, I've uh, sent out feelers to get uh, guests on the episode. But, obviously, with this whole uh, lockdown in effect, timings and everything are difficult. But if you do want to appear on the show... Hit us up on Twitter at el underscore steevo and Adam as well. Your Twitter
1: izzetinkerer
0: and let us know when you're free. If it's better during the day, better in the evening, because we've had some lists of episodes you wanted to appear on, and this was one of them. But obviously, um, we couldn't uh, get round to uh, getting the timings right and getting anyone else on board. But we do want to believe us. And uh, we want to hear what you think of this great show. But for now, Adam, let the world know where else they can find you.
1: As just said on Twitter, I mostly speculate on my one true love. That is uh, tabletop gaming in many, many forms. You can find me on our... Website of, uh, discussing that very same topic. There's quite a bit of stuff to be excited about these days as of the time of the recording of this. Lots. You can uh, find my writing about upcoming trading cards on fantasticuniverse.com. You can also find me uh, raising and reviewing certain mm. DC Comics releases on Dark Knight News and DC Comics News. Uh, lastly, you can also find me on twitch.tv forward slash no ordinary heroes. Streaming tabletop role playing games when the world isn't closed. And yourself? Uh, again,
0: just go into your search engine of choice, type in the words Steve J. Ray. You get links to my reviews, interviews, and articles all across both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, I'm editor in chief, our sister site, which is more Batman focused. And of course, at Fantastic Universes, which is our baby, where we write and review. And talk to stars of not just DC Comics, but every other type of fandom. Music, games, horror, sci-fi, wrestling, you name it. Somewhere it's on there. So... The DC Comics News podcast is uh, our main show, but also we have the Spinner Rack where you can learn about the five top releases every week. Sadly, no new comics at the moment because of the whole coronavirus epidemic, but still keep an eye out on DC Comics News and Dark Knight News for retro reviews, where all the writers are going into the archives, picking out their favourite miniseries, their favourite graphic novels, their favourite stories, and writing retro reviews about them great stuff out there, please go on to DC Comics News and Dark Knight News by typing in those words or to our Facebook and Twitter, Tumblr and YouTube pages, we now have an Instagram page as well where you can see lots of really cool pics, and the shows, Spinner Rack, I Am The Night and the DC Comics News original podcast can be found on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts and Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts each and every week. So, this has been I Am The Night. He's Adam Ray. He's The Night. I Am The Night. We are The Night together. And Adam, what do people really need to do?
1: Read more comics. And
0: watch more
1: Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.